Today we're continuing in our series that Pastor Todd started last week. It's out of the book of Proverbs. And I'm not much for titles, so I needed some help. And uh, we came up with Words with Friends. How many of you ever played that game? <laughs> All right. Sometimes you're just getting, you know, some people just stay up late, I guess, and you're just getting these these alerts. You know, I know my mom and dad and I used to play, and, you know, my father-in-law, once he gets involved in a game, that's it. I mean, he's locked in, he's reading, he's figuring it out, he's, he's you know, creating new ways to play the game, beating everybody. So uh, that has nothing to do with the message, but <laughs> just thought you'd want to know that. You know, during these messages, it got, kind of gets awkward. I'm not the best joke teller, so just kind of go with me. <laughs> all, all the jokes that, you know, I put in these things just bomb, so. But anyway. Okay, so King Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. Many of the Proverbs, remember that Solomon asked God for wisdom. And, and Proverbs is one of the greatest books that you can read when it comes to wisdom. You know, last week, Pastor Todd spoke about the value of acquiring wisdom. And he taught that wisdom, what, what wisdom is and what it is not. And he spoke about the tremendous benefits of acquiring and applying the wisdom that we, that we receive from the Lord. And then he gave us four ways to acquire it. This week, I want to talk about friendship. And I want to talk about uh, three marks of a healthy friendship. And when I say friendship, this could branch off into relationships of all, all kinds. It just, there's principles that are here, and I'm only going to give three today in, in this aspect that apply to, to relationships. But I want to also look at relationship killers. There are things in any type of relationship you are in that can actually destroy our relationship. You know, our speech, can destroy, can hinder, can stifle. It can undercut the greatest of relationships. How many friendships have been destroyed due to verbal communication or even lack of verbal communication? How many destinies have been hindered or progressed by the things that we've said? You know, words have the ability to tear down, but it also has the ability to lift up and to catapult people into success. How many people have may even have destroyed relationships without even knowing by some off the cuff thing that was said? Listen, there is power in our words and that could be a bad thing or a good thing. In marriages, how many of you can attest to your mouth getting you in trouble? <laughs> the rest are lying. How many relationships have gotten into the ditch because of verbal communication? Think about this. The Bible says in Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. See, we have the ability to speak life or speak death over any circumstance, over any situation, and over any body. Our actions as well give off life. The things that we do when we're there for people, that brings life to, to, their, to the relationship. In relationships, words can be used to cultivate better relationships. Proverbs 16, 24 says, pleasant words are a, cunning, a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Proverbs eleven nine says, with his mouth, the godless man destroys his neighbor. Notice how Solomon attributes a person who slanders to godless. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to say this message heavily convicted me. You know, nobody gets up and has it all together. Most messages come out of what we're dealing with. But you know what? Long live the donkey. <laughs> Long live the donkey. God can use a donkey. Praise God. God's word is an endless living well 
of water to the desert and dry soul. His word can literally wash away any wrong mindset that is stained by the, the, the flesh that pushes back against God's word. You notice how God's word will come into you and you begin to read it and your flesh is like, nah, man, that's for back then. You got to go look the Greek word up, make sure that's what it said. You know, the flesh is like a lawyer that will begin to lay out all of these arguments on why we should not apply it or who deserves for it to be applied to. Is that, is that what your flesh does? <laughs> all right. The rest of you are like, <laughs> I'm joking. Listen, our speech muddies up the water of our soul. Proverbs 18.24 says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's Jesus. When all else fails, when everybody turns their back on you, Jesus is right there with you. He is there in every storm, every fire, every heartbroken person that, that, that is broken by circumstances, by situations. God Almighty is there. Proverbs 18.24 says, a man with too many friends comes to ruin. You see, the issue is not having a bunch of friends. The issue is maintaining healthy and strong friendships. And these things don't just happen. Relationships and friendships take work. They don't just morph into something as you stand next to a breathing human being. You know, when you're there with a friend, sometimes it's just the presence that is often better than the words. But inconsistency speaks loudest in friendship. You know, when you think about an, when, when a friend's just not there, it doesn't matter if so-and-so is, is there and in trying to encourage you. If that friend is not there, that speaks volumes. And listen, not all friendships get the same amount of time, right? You know, today we, we look at friendships and we look at Facebook and we can't even, with it a reminder, tell everybody happy birthday right? But that word friend is so muddied nowadays. Anybody could be your friend. You could be friends with somebody that lives in Brazil because they liked this friend that they met one time, and all of a sudden, they're telling you happy birthday. But your greatest friend didn't check Facebook that day and maybe had a life happening and didn't send you happy birthday. And all of a sudden, is my friend still my friend? That's where it becomes muddied. So let me give you one of the three so far. And these are, like, obviously there are many principles, but these just kind of spoke out to me through Proverbs. And it's, number one is loyalty. Proverbs 17, 17, a friend is always loyal. And a brother is born to help in time of need. How many friendships have been born in adversity? How many friendships have happened due to tragic circumstances? Think of the flood that happened and people got together. How many friendships were sprouted out of that? And now they're the closest friends ever. Think about this. Proverbs 20 verse 6. Many will say they are loyal friends, but who can find one who is truly reliable? Notice how Solomon ties loyalty and reliability together in a knot. In essence, you cannot be loyal without being reliable. And you cannot be loyal without being trustworthy. Listen to this. Reliability is the soil in which trust is grown that produces the fruit of loyalty. I'm going to say that again. Reliability is the soil in which trust is grown that produces the fruit of loyalty. The bottom line is if you have too many friends, reliability becomes strained. Have you ever thought of that? We may have a lot of friends, but there are some friendships that you just are connected with, right? 
Nothing against your other friends is just, that's just the way some things are. True friendship is born out of a true connection. You know, when I was a kid, I remember my dad would always say, Kelly, you might have all kind of friends right now, but as you get older, and he would hold up his hand, he'll say, if you could have five good friends, you're doing well. So remember, the key is not too many friends. The key is healthy friendships, right? Healthy friendships. Be healthy with the ones that you do have, as well as consistency. You know, consistency may look different, different due to schedules and, and distance. But can I encourage you this morning, whatever that looks like, be consistent in it. If it's FaceTime every week, be consistent in that. If it's coffee every two weeks, be consistent in that. If it's visiting with, with someone once a month, be consistent in that. Proverbs 19.22 says, loyalty makes a person attractive. It's better to be poor than dishonest. You know what that means? Ugly folks can be pretty. That's what that spoke to me. I'm like, well, wow. So if I'm not the best looking person, if I'm loyal, I will become attractive. Solomon is saying what people really want to see is steadfast, unfailing love in their relationships. That word means radical loyalty. It's the same word that's used when it talks about God's consistency in love for his children. Solomon is saying, a poor man is better than a liar. Even a faithful friend who has nothing is better than a man who has wealth and then turns his back on you. Loyalty and reliability is simply being present and available, right? Don't you appreciate people that are present and available? They're in the moment, not on the phone, but talking with you. They're available. You, you know how many times, let me give you a hint. Wives, ask your, I know the men are going to be mad, but ask your, ask your husband, hey, what did I just say? All right. And then uh, we do counseling as well. Just give me a call. <laughs> no, but it's true. Do you have a, let me just ask you a question. You, you just give me an eye twitch or something. Because <laughs> you're probably your spouse or girlfriend is sitting beside you. But you ever get into a long conversation with your, your wife? Or your wife is having a long conversation and you're like, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You kind of hear, but you kind of don't. Do you realize what would happen if she asked you to repeat what she just said? Okay. Present and available. My wife's not in this service, so I can say that. <laughs> I'm just picking with y'all. See, that one went over well. Number two, transparency. Now, let's look at this. Proverbs 27, 5 through 6 says, Better is an open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Now, there's a difference between authenticity and transparency, right? Jesus had 12, but he had three within the 12, and then he had the nine, then he had 70, and then he had the multitude. Now, Jesus was transparent with the 12 at different levels, but he allowed three of them to see him at his most strenuous and glorified moments. But he was authentic with everyone. Be authentic with everyone, but transparent with only those that are truly close. That'll save you a lot of heartache right there. And I'll tell you what, it, what I mean by that. What are faithful wounds? It means friends don't air things out in public. Listen, they don't take it to the Roman Colosseum of social media to iron out with ominous tweets. And they might hashtag you or something, right? <laughs> Who likes a friend that comes at you that way? Faithful wounds are being real and having a real conversation. And the only motive should be the betterment of the person or the relationship, right? It's where you can share feelings with someone. 
And it's not always a pretty thing, right? It's a safe place. Listen, you can be open and transparent about real issues in a situation in safety. Now, not every relationship obviously needs complete transparency, right? (laughs) Can you simply just be yourself with that person? Listen, here's what I mean by that. Sometimes you have to be honest about a situation that you're going on, going on in your life. For instance, you might read a verse and the exact opposite thing is happening in your life, right? I got, like, I'll give you a personal example because, I mean, I'll just join the husbands in this because you're probably going to go home and get in trouble. But through the miscarriages, you know, the Bible would tell me, no good thing will I withhold from you, right? Or the Bible would say that children are a blessing from the Lord. He would, those types of verses, I would read them and they would cut me. I would, I would look at these verses and say, it's not coming to pass. Then I would get angry. We'd sing songs. I called you answered and came to my rescue. Mandy does a great job at that song, but one time she sang it and I was just getting overwhelmed because it was right after a miscarriage. And I remember looking at that situation and lining it up. And trying to really put a charge at the foot of God. And that was wrong. You don't do that. Because here is how you, you, you need to sometimes verbally process that. It's not that you don't believe the verse. It's just you got to walk through it. You got to try to gain the godly perspective on it. And sometimes it's through verbal communication with someone that you trust that can help you to sort through the feelings and when you can finally get to the truth. It's the journey of perspective. Now, if you have that with the wrong person, they'll walk away and say, that brother don't believe God's word. I don't know what's wrong with him, right? But my quiver is full. He must be in some type of sin, right? You'll have that, and the next thing you know, it gets back to you, and you're cut. You're distraught. You're, you're angry. You're frustrated. But if you can talk to someone that will not judge your relationship with God, but will simply hear you out and hear you and help you try to process, that is pure gold. And everybody needs that. Amen? So the word of God is 100% true. I believe it with all my heart, but sometimes it's the journey of letting it get from the head to the heart, right? Sometimes when you're going through the worst thing of your life, good, good father doesn't fit in my processing of understanding it, right? Sometimes I got to get into sovereign mode. God is sovereign. He's doing something here, right? You know what I mean? He's still a good, good father, but in this situation, we're trying to fit it into our understanding of God, right? Listen, God is the greatest of every aspect of life. If you need wisdom, God has all of the wisdom you will ever need. If you need love from a father, God has all the love from a father that can ever be given to a child. And it's not based on our understanding because he gives it when we don't understand it. And he gives it when we think we do. Amen. Now, remember, Jesus was verbally transparent in the garden with God. When he was taught, when he was going to the cross, but he walked in transparency. I'm sure if he, if you were sitting at the table with Jesus during the last supper, you would clearly see that he was shaken. He was authentic, but he verbally communicated with God and he was being verbally transparent in the garden, in the safe place. Amen. Jesus is loyal even when we are not. See, we get all of our ways and wants and desires, not from the person on the side of us, but from what we see how Jesus gives to us. Number three, sensitivity. Proverbs 27, 14, a loud and cheerful greeting early in the morning will be taken as a curse. (laughs) And all the non-morning people said, amen. (laughs) Do you know how I know that? Now, (laughs) marriage. 
See, God understands non-morning people even if we don't. So how to be sensitive. Can I encourage you to monitor the moment, <laughs> right? Proverbs 25, 20, singing cheerful songs to a person with a heavy heart is like taking someone's coat in cold weather and pouring vinegar in a wound. I know. Solomon's the man. He says things and you're like, absolutely, I've never poured. It actually made me say, I wonder what would happen if I went pour vinegar in a wound. I did. I, I didn't do it, but I thought about it. it must hurt. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19, just as damaging as a madman madman shooting a deadly weapon is someone who lies to a friend and says, I was only joking. I I don't think we do that, right? (laughs) I do this. (laughs) I do. Hey, man, I was just joking, right? Does everybody else do that? Raise your hand so the rest of you, (laughs) no, I'm joking. You might not do that. Praise God. But this is used in humor at an inappropriate time, like right now. So I just committed that sin. All right. I think of Job's friend. I'm going to put the brunt on them now. Now, listen, I see Job's friends differently than you might see it in the Bible. But I'm going to tell you how I see them. Okay? All right. Here comes the first friend that shows up in the middle of Job's biggest crisis. His name is uh, Eliphaz. And I'm going to paraphrase Job chapter 4, verse 1 through 11. He says, hey, bro, let me share something with you. God spoke to me as I was reading my 10-pound King James Bible, sipping my grande light iced tea, sugar-free vanilla latte with soy milk, with 2% foam, one Brazilian shot of espresso with Colombian grated chocolate sprinkles. Don't you love the person that wants to have a conversation with you and gets on this diatribe that has nothing to do with the conversation? Okay. I, I get in the conversations that way. It's like, man, this is going on. Yeah, man, I was noticing. Uh, and they get on this. And next thing you know, you're like, oh, why did I even open my mouth? <laughs> okay. He wanted me to tell you, you have a great, you're a great encourager, but now you need to be taught by having a dose of your own medicine. You must have done something. Just repent and it should turn around, right? Bildad comes in with his triple vinte, half sweet, non-fat caramel macchiato. Paraphrasing Job 8, 11 through 12. You know, Job, how's your quiet time, Ben? I didn't see you last Wednesday night. How's your Bible reading plan going? His logic is, if you don't water a plant, it will die. You simply must be a hypocrite and unfaithful. Both of these men come in theologically trying to explain what's going on with Job. But then here comes Zophar, which if I was Job, I'd have probably just came for their names, but never mind. (laughs) Like, man, come on, man. Your mama named you Zophar? (laughs) You can sit down and talk, but your mama named you Zophar. Help me, Jesus. (laughs) No, the reason I'm saying this, because they they strike me as ma-ma. Right? Ma-ma. Just, come on, man. Here comes Zophar. His tone is obviously more aggravated if you read it. Probably because he ordered a grande chai latte, three pumps, skim milk, light water, no foam, extra, extra shots. Instead, he only got two pumps with soy, and it was lukewarm. He's full of animosity, rebukeful at best. He probably loves the part of Proverbs 27, 6 about wounding. And then he unloads on Job. And here's a summary of Job 11, 1 through 12. Job, you talk too much. You got off easy. Someone needs to faithfully wound you here. I can't believe you actually think that you're innocent. God told me to come and convict you just as he sent Moses into Pharaoh's court, of course. And here am I, the faithful servant. Now, this is what happened, and this is what you need to do. Don't you just love that as well when somebody just tells you what you need to do, right? What you should have did here was this. Okay, okay, there you go. 
But this is what he tells Job. You're false. You're false. He tells him, God knows false men. Hint, hint, you're false. And then he calls him an idiot. Zophar. The guy with the name. <laughs> now, all of these all of these responses were atrociously inappropriate, right? But this is proof of a disconnection. You see? So what's the life application? Like John Maxwell says, connect before you try to correct. I, he said that. That's, that's a great statement. We need to invest in someone emotionally before we try to invest in their stuff to try to feel spiritual. Okay, I'm going to keep going on that one. I felt a little, ugh. So don't come from a place of emotional detachment when you're trying to walk with somebody through something. There are certain friends and people that you will relate to during certain time periods of life, and that should be okay because of certain experiences. Listen, we need to be sensitive to what they need, not what we want to give. You know, sometimes people don't want to talk in their stuff. You can't be like, well, man, I'm such a great talker. I have to get involved in this situation. We need to come in and get involved and maybe just sit there, right? Just sit there. Because the issue is how they receive counsel, not how we want to give. So here's some, a couple of things that you can try to remember as well as myself. Just be there. Just be there. Just show up. Be there. Feel their pain. Identify with their pain. Listen more than we talk. Don't try to explain something that God himself has not explained. That works. And just give hope. Just give hope. I don't know what it's like to be in this situation, but we serve the God of hope. That's all I know. And that fits in this. Somewhere, somehow. But that I can assure you. So to recap, loyalty, transparency, and sensitivity. Now let's look at the relationship killers. This, hold on. <laughs> Proverbs six sixteen through 19. There are six things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among the brothers. Now, we're going to look at just three of these verbal communication-wise, because I really think that's all we should digest. But look at the sensitivity that is spoken here. Now, think about this. Proverbs 12, says, lying lips are an abomination to God. Why is that such a big deal to God? Lying is when you don't tell the truth, right? Lying is also adding to the fish. I caught it this, this big, I think, depending on where, you know, how you see it. The question is, why is it abomination? <clears throat> because in God, there is no darkness at all. God is truth. God is love, right? God is hope. God is holiness. It's not a distinct characteristic that flows out of God. It's who he is. So when we lie, we're going against who God is. It's the highest form of poking God in his pupil or trying to because it's coming against him. It's literally sitting at the table with the devil. It's, it's attacking God. When we lie, God is truth. So we are, we are more like the devil when we lie. So that's why it's such a big deal. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now think about this. Look at children, right? Let's look at children. <laughs> Lying is a key attribute that flows out of their nature at the earliest of ages. <laughs> I'm telling you, you'll, you'll see what I'm saying. They come into existence sitting on the throne of self, right? They rule a Lego or Play-Doh or Tonka truck Barbie doll kingdom. 
And they demand sleep, they demand attention, and they demand food. This child is ruling and reigning in his kingdom in a cage, we call a playpen, with another child that is ruling and reigning in their kingdom as well. They are confined. One child grabs the toy, yanks it out of their hand, and all they know to say is, mine. Right? Like a lawyer, they just know instinctively, I'm winning this case. Right? Mine. And think about the other child. The other child is freaking out. Like, I cannot believe all I know in this situation is my toy is now not mine. It has been translated from one kingdom to the next. And all they know to do is say, they're looking for this person called mom. And mom and dad is struggling between which one is going to say mom, or is it going to be mom or is it going to be dad, right? That, that is going to say mom, come on, dad. The kid don't care. The kid's like, mine, my toy. They don't know how to explain it. All they know is mine, mom, toy, mine, right? Think about that. And then the other child all of a sudden is trying to speak like a lawyer on this defensive diatribe. And all he's trying to explain is, it's mine. I don't know. I didn't come here with the toy, but all of a sudden, there it is, and it's now mine. Right? It's mine. <laughs> now, think about this. It's literally flowing out of them. And what do we have to do? Now, Johnny, whose toy is this? And you know as the parent. Come on, you knew if you bought it. But we have to teach them to share, teach them to be honest, teach them, right? And listen, the, the sin nature does not skip little Johnny because he has chubby cheeks. We, we need to know that. We got to teach them the right way. And then we got to grow up and walk in the right way, correct? Number two, divisive talk. I need to hurry up. Proverbs 6, 12 through 15, a worthless person, a wicked man, is one who walks with a perverse mouth, who winks with his eyes, who signals with his feet, who points with his fingers, who with perversity in his heart devises evil, who spreads strife. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly, instantly, and he will be broken, and there will be no healing. Most all of these translations just call this a worthless person. Now, when you read verse 4, I mean, th these four verses, it's very sobering because you see calamity coming to such a person. It's almost like somebody who is seeking only self and out of the, their verbal communication, their hand movements, all of these things that the Bible is talking about comes out of the heart. In other words, they're still in the playpen. It's still mine, right? Mine. This is what I want. But Jesus came to the cross to crush the head of mine and give us his, his ways. And that's the lifelong journey of walking with Christ. But it is the literal greatest journey. Because listen, you don't get fulfilled serving self. You get fulfilled serving others, being with others, helping others, making others feel accomplished, right? Making others feel worthy and needed. That's why I love Mr. Rogers. It's true. I was telling my brother-in-law yesterday, it's like, man, when I get to heaven, I want to, you know, Jesus. Abraham, Paul, no, Mr. Rogers. I want to, you know, <laughs> think about this, man. Lady, sorry. Mr. Rogers spent his entire life just telling people about serving. Just telling people about loving each other and being a neighbor, right? That's inspiring, and that's something that's needed today more than ever. It's not a, you know, I'm not trying to promote that, that movie that's coming out, but I'm just saying it. It really just, you know, people that, that were watching, you know, the documentary I, I saw, they said that they were just in tears. And one of the guys that does it for a living that watches movies was like, nobody really could understand why they were just weeping. They just saw the, the throwback 
of, of when we just loved each other and served each other. Like Brother Francis always says, when you had porches, right? Doesn't it seem like the, <clears throat> the older you get, the more difficult life gets? And don't you, don't you think like further back you go, it just seemed easier? I think a lot of it has to do with our mentalities have switched. And we're on this fast track to nowhere. And sometimes we just need to stop and grab the person that means the most to us. And, and pay attention to our circle that God has given us. And flourish and love those people. And that is how we will, we will make better neighbors and we'll be better people. Right? Number three, <clears throat> gossip. Now, I am one of the gossips. You heard this from me. You ever heard that? <laughs> Proverbs 20, verse 19. Gossip goes around telling secrets. Don't hang around with chatterers. <laughs> then it says in Proverbs 26, 20, fire goes out without a wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. You know, in the NIV, that verse 19 says, don't hang out with people that talk too much. In other words, these people would never make it in the mob. That's not what it says, but I'm just, I was thinking... These people would be the first ones. Okay. Am I in trouble here? No. Okay. Listen, it's even gossip if it's factual. Proverbs 2019 says that gossip betrays confidence. Listen, I, I can say this here. I've seen this a lot in uh, confiding in people. And let me just say something here. This is my nervous take. You know, when you tell somebody, hey, I want to tell you something. Some people have this mentality that my spouse and I are one, which is true. But when it comes to something like this, make sure you know the person that's confiding in you has that mentality. You know what I mean? Like, in other words, if somebody says, hey, I want to share something with you in confidence, which means I'm dealing with something and I don't want nobody to know, it doesn't necessarily mean you and your spouse. However, if the person comes to you and say, hey, I want to tell you something, but hold up, let's wait till your spouse gets here. Or can I have both of your email addresses so I can email you and then CC your spouse, right? Or can I get on a three-way call with you and your spouse? You, get, you follow where I'm going? I am bent towards just me. If you got something to say, just tell me. You know, now I'm just saying, the reason I'm saying that is because that is a miscommunication that people have, and I've seen it happen in churches. Like, people confide, and they go and tell somebody something. The next thing you know, the spouse will come up to them and say, hey, man, I'm praying about this. And they're like, oh, how did you find out about that? So I want to say this. If somebody comes to you and wants to share something with you, if you are the person that tells your spouse everything, which can be dangerous, obviously, in this context, please preface it with saying, hey, is this something that I can share with my wife or my husband? Because I'm telling you, this goes in the ditch quick. On the flip side, if you are a person that does not tell your wife or your spouse every thought you have, don't expect Bob to get in the pool you just barbecue by. Okay, all right, let's keep going. It's true, I think about it. Because when confidence is betrayed, listen, there's no, church, there's no hurt like church hurt. There's no church, there's no hurt like that. This is supposed to be the safest place on the face of the earth. And I remember Brother Francis said that this would be a house of healing. And let me tell you something. I got healed from church hurt in this place. Amen? So let's do everything we can to be a hospital for those that are coming to us. Amen? I'm going to get, get through this a little quicker. Number four, slander. That's to just spread information that's not even true. The, the Bible says in Psalms 40, 140, verse 11, Let not a slanderer be established in the earth, and let evil hunt a violent man down and overthrow him. That's, that's pretty harsh. But slander does so much damage. It destroys reputation. It destroys, you could build a life of, of walking in the right way. Somebody just has to come with a lie and all of a sudden it could crumble. Now let's look at arguing. Number five, Proverbs 18, six. 
when some fool starts an argument, he's asking for a beating. <laughs> I love God's word, man. I read that, I sent it straight to Nathan. <laughs> no, just because we joke about fighting each other or, you know. <laughs> that was a joke. All right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> He'll know it's a joke. Man. I'm still good? Brother Francis? All right. <laughs> All right, look, Proverbs 26, 21, charcoal keeps the embers glowing, wood keeps the fire burning, and troublemakers keep arguments alive. So basically, intense moment of fellowships can be very costly to the relationship. Now listen, if somebody's just an argumentative person, y'all know people like that? Prideful, debatable, speech and debate champion, makes for a good blood pressure commercial, but that's it. <laughs> really. So here's the question. Do you always have to be right? Do you know everything? Okay. That's just some things that I ask myself. I'm just saying. Listen, there are some arenas I refuse to get into when it comes to, to no arguments. Like, I don't want to get in an arena and the only thing that's benefiting is the lion or the crowd. Amen? <laughs> you know what I mean? But here's a great quote that Pastor Todd always says. Pick relationship over being right. He always says that. When, it, when I don't know, you know, just in, in counseling, <laughs> he just tells us that. Not that that happens. It might happen. I don't <laughs> But, you know, it, it just a, a life lesson. And in other words... When there's something, and say in family, and you just know that it's not right, but you got this motive of I got to be right, keep it down. And if it's really not something that's going to change the world or change the situation, just keep it to ourselves. Amen? Because I'm going to tell you some verses that it says, why do you fight and argue with each other? Isn't it because you're full of selfish desires? that are fighting for the control of your body. See, nothing tells the war going out on, on the inside of us than what's coming out of our mouth, right? Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger and a wise man keeps it under control, right? Look at what it says here, Proverbs 17, 27, and 28. A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered, even fools are thought wise while they keep silent with their mouths shut. They seem intelligent. So when you walk away from these, this message, if you're ugly, right, you can be attractive. <laughs> and if you're foolish, you can be intelligent if you keep your mouth shut. I'm applying this seriously. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. You know how I know that? I'm married. <laughs> My wife has a doctorate in this. Really, I mean, but you know what it does? It instantly brings godly conviction, right? When you're just like, ah, not that I do that, but I saw this on TV one time. This guy was fussing. <laughs> this guy was fussing a lot, and his wife just said something real like, calm down. And it just brought conviction like, man, I'm, I am overreacting here. Proverbs 19.11, sensible people control their temper, their temper, and they earn respect by overlooking wrong. Now, what's the life application? I'm going to go back to the first three, and then we're closing here. Think about Peter's encounter with Jesus in the book of John. Remember this. John had, I mean, G Peter had denied Jesus in front of a little servant girl. Remember that? And then he, he felt shameful. And what did he do? He went back fishing. And I was reading this in a, a Greek, uh, a Greek New Testament. I want to read two, two of them to you. And it, the reason I say that it was, it was said in present tense and it means something. This is what it's saying. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going to fish from now on. They said to him, we are coming with you. Then it says it in the Weist Expanded Translation. Simon Peter says to them, I am going off, breaking my former connections to my former fishing business. 
And they say to him, as for us, we are coming also to join you. So Peter wasn't just mad going fishing. He was saying, you know what? I'm going back to my job. I, I, I understand what the Lord wanted me to do. I hear all that, but I just cannot do this. I'm going back to fishing. And the other disciples said, well, man, we coming with you. This tells us, look at the influence Peter had. That he literally was going back to fishing and his disciples were going to go with him. Listen, if Peter goes back fishing, we all go to hell, really. Because the gospel doesn't spread. Think about that. Jesus comes back and he's sitting there and he says, hey, I want you to go and meet at the breakfast, meet for a fried fish breakfast. Not to say that Jesus fried the fish. I don't want you to think that. But there was a fish breakfast. Sometimes you got to be careful because next thing you know, it's like, man, he's preaching false doctrine. He said they had fish fryers. <laughs> but, uh, but on a serious note, this is what happened. Jesus displayed loyalty to Peter, right? Jesus comes back. Peter is disloyal. He is going back to fishing. And Jesus comes and he doesn't rebuke Peter. He's loyal to Peter. He tells Peter, Peter, come see, right? He's loyal. He could have said, you know what? You're going back fishing after everything that I've done, after everything I taught you, then go. Jesus did not do that. He was loyal. He said, you know what, Peter? I love you. Come see. Then he allowed Peter to be transparent with him. Remember? He said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter was transparent. I phileo you. In other words, I'm fond of you. Basically, I can't love you like you want. And Jesus says, I agape you. I love you unconditionally, Peter. Transparent. He allowed the verbal transparency to happen. Jesus was loving him with the emotion that Peter was showing him anyway, right? So he was allowing that transparency. Then sensitivity. What did he do? He didn't rebuke him in front of everybody, right? He handled that situation because why? He saw Peter was already broken. He saw Peter had a broken heart. I mean, I think of this scene when Peter sees Jesus and he just takes his coat and just jumps in the water and he's swimming. You know why? Because he probably has been tossing and turning this whole time. I hurt the Lord. I hurt Jesus. I was disloyal to him. I, look at what I did. And here's what he does. He jumps in instantly wanting to be restored. You know what that is? An emotional connection. True friendship. But I want to tell you something. Today, the Lord has done the same with you and I. Can we stand? Listen, I understand friendships and all these things, but if you really want to tap in to the power that allows you to be all that you can be in relationships, you have to tap into the Lord. If you are married and you do not have Jesus as the center of your marriage, you're always going to go from mine, my right, what I want. But when you have Jesus as the centerpiece of your relationship, if it's built on the foundation of Christ, you'll always have Jesus saying, no, it's about her or it's about him. I'm going to help you with this. Right? He'll allow transparency. He'll allow loyalty to spring forth. He'll allow sensitivity. He's the one that's going to give you the power. But I just want to tell you, if you have not come to know the Lord, you have no abilities to, to conjure this up. It will flow out of who Christ has now made you. So the first order of business is, do you know the Lord? Amen? And I just want every head bowed and every eyes closed. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to call on the name of the Lord and receive the gift of pardon for our sins. And if you can say, you know what? I do not know anything about a relationship with Jesus. All I know is religion. All I know is doing stuff. That could end today. And you can come into a knowledgeable heartfelt, loving relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So if you can say, I want to know the Lord in an intimate way, I just want you to slip up your hand and I'm going to pray with you. Come on, just slip up your hand and say, you know what? I want to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Let me see your hand.
praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I don't want to rush this moment because I know what it's like to sit there and say, uh, what if I'm going to do if I'm going to raise my hand? Listen, this is an inward thing. This is something, this is regeneration, God regening you. And listen, I just want to encourage you. Even if you go home and, and, and the message starts to work on the inside of you, call out to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm sorry that I've broken your laws. I'm sorry that I've sinned against you. And I'm asking you to wash me and cleanse me. I desire that you would be my Lord and my Savior. Listen, if you pray that prayer, and it's not the prayer, it's the fact that you mean it. If you call out to the Lord, he will reach down and pull you out of that pit of be, just being living a normal, ho-hum life and soaring into the kingdom of God. Amen? For the rest of us here, we might be able to say, you know what? I've done most of these things. And I want a more healthy relationship. Let's ask the Lord to cleanse us of all of these things, lying, divisive talk, gossip, slander, and arguing. And I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands because I don't want nobody to lie in here. And I want to I ask the Lord to forgive us. Come on, if any of these situations are something that, that you've done, let's ask the Lord to forgive us and cleanse us, but let's walk in humility. Let's walk in what the Lord has given us through the power of his blood. Amen. Father, we just come right now in the name of your son, Jesus. And Lord, I ask right now for you to forgive me, Lord, of lying, divisive talk, gossip, slander, and arguing for being unloyal. Come on, some of you may not have, have expressed loyalty in marriage, in friendship, in parenting, whatever. Non-loyalty. God, give me the strength to be transparent, Lord, with those that, that are in my circle, Lord, that you will help me to be transparent. Because if we confess our faults one to another, we'll be healed. In other words, sometimes you just got to talk about stuff in a safe place. Amen. And Lord, I ask right now that you would help me to be sensitive to the people that you bring around me, Lord. When I see someone hurting and I have a relationship, Lord, help me to be sensitive to what they need. And Lord, I'm asking, Lord, that you would, you would invade our hearts and our spirit, Lord, with compassion and kindness and goodness and meekness, Lord. Everything that you died to give us and have given us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I ask right now, as we have confessed, we ask the Lord to forgive us of all of these things, that these truths will begin to spring forth out of our souls, God, and we will be able to love and, and be there for the people around us. God, we thank you right now that you have given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And Father, we just thank you once again for meeting with us today. In Jesus' name, I pray and ask. And the church said, amen and amen. Praise God. Give the Lord a hand clap. Praise the name of, the Je of Jesus.